Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Well, hi there and welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I'm John Murphy. I'm the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills. We're back now on a weekly schedule for the most part. Here to talk every week about the Bills and the beer. The Bills, the 0-1 Buffalo Bills. We're going to talk about them in a moment. The beer, Sullivan's, brewed in Kilkenny, Ireland. Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale. Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale. Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Have you tried it yet? It's good. Brewed in Ireland, available all over Bill's country, here in upstate New York and Buffalo especially. We're expanding throughout the United States. We're in Buffalo and upstate. We're in New York City and Long Island, New Jersey. Youngstown and Cincinnati, Ohio, Atlanta, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee area, and now in New England, in Boston, and in Providence, Rhode Island. Our guest today, as a matter of fact, Mino Sogamonian, comes from Atlantic Beverage Distribution in Massachusetts. We're going to talk with him about his company and about Sullivan's arrival in Massachusetts. It's a good conversation coming up. We're going to talk about the Bills as well with a man who called the game on CBS TV, Charles Davis, one of the top color analysts for the NFL on CBS. Basically, he says, don't jump the shark yet, Bills fans. They're only 0-1. But it was a rough loss Sunday, wasn't it? The 23-16 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't feel good at all. And all the pregame hype and all the enthusiasm about a new season, did it ever occur to you that the Bills might lose the opener? You know, it did to me. And I'm going to repeat what I was saying all last week. I thought the Bills would win, I think, going into the game. But I also knew that the Steelers are good. They won 12 games and a division title a year ago. They're led by a 39-year-old quarterback who clearly is fading, but Ben Roethlisberger is on his way to the Hall of Fame. They are well coached. They have a talented roster. Of course the Bills could lose. I didn't think they would, but of course they could. But they did. thought they'd win. Pittsburgh defense just shut them down. Roethlisberger made just enough plays to win. They got a blocked punt for a touchdown, and that was a winning margin in the game. I think the Bills showed surprising vulnerability on the offensive line. And they leaned on a pass-heavy offense, a two-to-one ratio, pass plays to run plays. They threw it 51 times, they ran it 25 times, out of whack. Now clearly a lot of those throws came when they were trying to catch up in the waning moments of the game, but still they, they were focused on the pass much more than I thought they should have been. A lot of spread formations, four wide receivers, they stuck with it too. I thought the passing game, I think they thought the passing game would come around But pass protection was an issue all afternoon long last Sunday. They never got it figured. And that's where I get to the vulnerability on the offensive line. They've got good pieces up there. It was one of the strongest defensive lines they'll play all season long. A couple of Pro Bowl players up there for Pittsburgh. But still, that's got to be better. And I think, I really think they've got to have more of a threat in the running game. They're going to be a pass-first offense, I get that. But you have to have a threat to run the ball. And you have to try it once in a while. Not a good performance for quarterback Josh Allen. His worst, really, in a while. Going back to last season, he overthrew it a couple times, made some bad decisions. Not his best day, for sure, and he acknowledges that. And I think there was questionable play calling and a questionable offensive approach by the Bills coaching staff. Maybe hubris on the part of the coaching staff. Did they think they could just uh, throw it down the field and beat the Steelers that way? I don't know. Fourth quarter, one play that's got everybody's attention. Fourth quarter, fourth and one at the Pittsburgh 41-yard line. Allen took the snap and pitched it almost backwards to Matt Breida at running back behind the play. He was immediately stuffed for a seven-yard loss. They only needed one yard. There are a number of different things they could have done. They chose that maybe in an attempt to out-trick the Steelers. It didn't work. The Steelers took over shortly after that. Five plays later, Pittsburgh took the lead for good. 
If there was a turning point in that loss for Buffalo, that may have been it. Now, in retrospect, there's no time to panic. The Bills will adjust. They'll get better. They come out of the game without any injuries. The Buffalo defense played really well, I think, in the game. Our guest today, Charles Davis, says the Bills are going to be all right. And I think he's right. They will be. But they do have some issues to distress, to address this week. The offensive line. They've got to figure out what's going on up there. Are they finally settled on a guard? Is Cody Ford their guy in place of Mike Butker? They split time in the first half, and then Ford kind of took over in the second half. I think that's a way to go, and I think it would help everyone, uh, Cody Ford in particular, and the rest of the offense if they settled on him. I think they need more of a commitment to the ground game. I think they've got to find a role for Zach Moss, who didn't even dress for Sunday's game. And Matt Breida, I wouldn't rule him out. I think he's got a different type of running style that can prove uh, beneficial for the Bills. But they've got to figure out how to use those two in Devin Singletary. Josh Allen will learn. He usually does. He usually gets better. And the Steelers, the way they played Josh and the Bills defensively, very good, strong defense, the Steelers may have provided a template for other opponents for the Bills this year. I mean, you don't need to blitz. Pittsburgh showed that. They got it done with four, sometimes five men rushing the passer. And they had a lot of guys dropping back into coverage. Now, everybody's not going to be as talented as the Pittsburgh defense, but it may have been a template that other teams will copy. Obviously, the Bills have to shore up their punt protection. And kudos to the Steelers special teams coach, Danny Smith. I did not get a chance to talk to him either before or after Sunday's game. He's a great guy. He coached here under Greg Williams a long time ago. He's still coaching, still doing a great job. They saw a vulnerability in the Bills' punt protection, and they got a block punt for a touchdown that turned out to be the winning margin in the game. Steelers are good. I think they're one of the best four or five teams uh, the Bills will face this year. So losing to them is no disgrace. But the Bills have some work to do. It was a tough loss to have at home, the season opener. But there is a long way to go. Long way to go on this show as well. We've got more about the Bills-Pittsburgh game from the man who called it on CBS TV, Charles Davis, up next as Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff continues. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Our guest had a front row seat for Sunday's Bills opening game, the Bills and the Steelers. He was the NFL analyst for CBS Sports. He works Sunday's Bills-Steeler game with his partner, Ian Eagle. We're happy to have Charles Davis on the line with us. Charles, thanks very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, John. Thanks for, thanks for bringing me on. It's good to talk with you again. You know, when, when I look back at uh, the game, uh, watch the video of the game, watch your broadcast, it, it struck me how both teams were a little bit rusty. It looked like a season opener for both teams, didn't it? Yeah, it certainly did. And I think we're going to see a lot of that around the league. I think we did see a lot of that around the league because, you know, now that we're down to three preseason games with really a two-week gap before people play after the last one, before it was a little more like nine, ten days, you know, it, I, I, you just – didn't know how to approach it some teams played their starters late like buffalo played their starting offense what a few series in 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 the final preseason game other people didn't play them at all like the rams but they haven't done that since sean mcveigh's been there so it's going to be a little little bumpy at different places but the competitiveness that was never in doubt both of these teams were coming they they came to play there was no doubt about that but as you said maybe a little shakiness in different spots for both you know i said it over and over to folks who would listen going into the game uh Pittsburgh, although they did, they did not finish strong last year. They were kind of raggedy at the end. They won 12 games. They won their division. <laughs> They're a quality team with very good, uh, very good uh, players and a uh, future Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, and look, it's as simple as this. When we were meeting, we, you know, we meet with both teams before the game, so you meet with individual players, coaches, et cetera. And Josh Allen said, we're playing a Mike Tomlin coach team. Is there anything more that needs to be said? 
And I thought it showed a great amount of maturity and poise from a youngster, you know, a young quarterback who figured it out. You know, he knows what this league is about. Mike Tomlin, as a head coach, has never had a losing season going into he's in his 15th year now, 14 seasons. Two years ago, Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt, what, game two, game three? They finished the season with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. And somehow it took you Buffalo Bills to knock them out of playoff contention deep in December. So if you ever think that Pittsburgh's not going to be ready to play and going to go away, you're really missing the boat on that. And remember, four new offensive starters on the offensive line, blah, 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 blah. But they're always going to be a team that you better be ready to play against. I do want to talk about the Bills, but one more question about the Steelers, if I may. I heard some postgame analysis in which you said uh, to a, a, a comrade at CBS, you said, you know, Mike Tomlin is coaching this football team. Ben Roethlisberger plays quarterback on this team. What, what do you have in mind there? What did you mean by that? What I meant was it's very simple. If you're going to have people like that who are leading your team, you're usually going to have people who are going to follow, who are going to believe, who are going to learn. I mean, if you watch I mean, you watch the game back. How many different junctures did you see Ben Roethlisberger coaching people on the field? Yep. You know, we telling them what was going, whether it was a mistake or a good play. There was time, there was one time where he had completed a pass, took a hit in the pocket, but they'd given him enough time to complete the pass. And he was exhorting and applauding his offensive line to let these youngsters know, hey, I'm with you. Let's go do it. He doesn't keep himself apart that way. And Mike Tomlin, when we met with him, John, you never would have thought this was a man who was going to start four new starters in the offensive line, a rookie center, a rookie left tackle, a rookie tight end was going to play a lot. You know, TJ Watt had just signed, hadn't had a full practice until Wednesday of that week. I could go on and on. And, oh, yeah, that's right. They collapsed last year at the end of the season. Never once would you have thought it. In fact, he said, yeah, we're going to go out and play. That's who he is. That's who the Steelers are. You know, um, I think when you watch the Bills a lot, you get used to the crowd making a difference. And I've never heard them louder than they were yesterday. And yet the Steelers. early. They got a false start early. There was one. The Steelers didn't, for the most part, were not that bothered by the crowd noise. No, and, and it was interesting. I think that for every team playing this first week, I don't know if crowd noise is going to bother people as much as energize both sides because no one had it had much of it last year. You remember when we came in for the playoff game against Indianapolis, would you have 5,000 they let in the yeah. stadium for that yep. game? For myself, I and Eagle, Evan Washburn on the sidelines, we all said it in pregame. This makes the difference. That was 5,000 people. That wasn't a full house like we had yesterday. Right. And you're right. Buffalo fans are used to affecting the game. But I thought that yesterday for both sides, it wouldn't affect them as much as, oh, wow, this is so cool that everyone is back. As we settle into the season, John, I think the effect will kick in again. Places like Buffalo, Seattle, you know, Kansas City, where the crowd can really get into it and affect the other team. But in this first one, I just think everyone just embraced it, whether they were booing or cheering. It's a good point. You know, as I watched the game on Sunday and watched it over again, it struck me uh, the one mismatch that really made a difference, I thought, was the Steelers' defensive line against the Bills' offensive line. They they almost dominated from start to finish, didn't they? They did, and it was, it was a little bit surprising because I think this is a Buffalo offensive line that, uh, and I've said it before, with continuity, they're a pretty good offensive line. And they had the right faces and names out there that showed continuity. But maybe what we undersold was in preseason, COVID affected Deion Dawkins in a big way. He was in the hospital for a while. So maybe his conditioning and timing isn't 100% just yet. Ike Butker 
had to battle his way through that. Had a great camp, but he had to battle his way through. Cody Ford's coming back off of an injury where he missed a lot of time last year at right guard. Mitch Morris was in and out of the lineup last year at center. John Feliciano didn't even start the season last year before he came on and played, and he played both guards and center last year. You see where I'm going with this. Continuity for an offensive line, the same people in the same spots, game in, game out. That's when you build that offensive line and you have what you're looking for. It'll come with Buffalo, I think, if indeed these guys stay healthy this year and stay intact. But also when you're throwing the ball on almost every down and Pittsburgh played them that way, these are, these are outside linebackers, defensive ends, and three-point stances that are sprinter stances. They're not playing the run nearly as much, so it's harder for an offensive lineman to deal with. You touched on, I think, an important point there. Uh, the Bills threw it 51 times, ran it 25 times. Yes, the Bills are playing catch-up. I didn't think they, they ran 25 times. It, yeah. shouldn't, it felt like 15. I, mean, <laughs> I know. You know. And I'm not trying to be facetious or what have you. Brian Dayball, I think, is one of the better offense coordinators in the game. I felt like, and I said it during the game, I don't know if I'm right, I don't know what Brian would say, but my sense was, John, that he always felt like he had an advantage. Didn't matter, okay? With his receiving core, he always thought that Josh Allen would find the right person and get them the football. Someone would win their battle downfield. And I think for the most part, he was actually right, but Josh Allen wasn't quite as sharp on Sunday as we saw last year. There were a few missed throws in there that could have been bigger plays. Yeah, to give Pittsburgh credit, they played some really good defense along the way. But I thought the sharpness was off a little, alluding back to maybe what you talked about in the beginning. And there was actually one play in particular I want to get your thoughts on that, or I thought the Bills were just a little bit too cute, maybe overthought it. The fourth and one play uh, early in the fourth quarter, um, they turned it over on downs. <laughs> they lost four or five yards on the play. What did you think of that play call and that play in particular? Yeah, you know, it's funny because when you're getting ready for play calls like that, you and your partner are doing it, and Ian Eagle's the best in the business, you know, and he's, he's setting the play up. While he was setting it up, and you know how I can only tell you what, what I know or what I believe I know, and people have to decide whether they, they, they believe it or not because I didn't say anything because Ian was setting up the play, and you don't step on your play-by-play partner. But the thought that went through my head, and I told Ian that when we went to break, they're trying awfully hard to sell me on a short yardage run here. Extra tight end. They brought in the extra tackle, Spencer Brown. They brought in the fullback, Reggie Gilliam. Boy, they're selling me hard on this one. <laughs> and it just struck me. And, and no, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I thought this was a play that was going to be run. But I wasn't 100% convinced that they were going to run the ball. Does that make sense? Yep. And with that set up in formation and the size of Josh Allen, I would have thought sneak might be the right play there. Just go ahead and get it and then come back and play offense. But they sold it so hard, they were hoping Pittsburgh would tumble to the, to, to the fake, to the sell, and they'd be able to get a huge play with Matt Breida getting to the corner. Because if that does work and he gets to the perimeter, he's probably gone. But give Cam Sutton a ton of credit. He saw it the whole way. He triggered and went from the cornerback position Back-to-back fourth down stops, because you remember the previous series, they went forward in what we call no man's land, right? Just past the 50, do you go, do you punt, do you kick a field goal? And as aggressive as Buffalo is, I I wasn't surprised they went. I know a lot of fans were upset later. Oh, that's money in the bank, Tyler Bass. I had a fan tell me this morning on the way home, John, 
well, you know, 50 something yard field goal, that's automatic for bass. And I just <laughs> kept my mouth shut. There's no such thing as an automatic 50 yard field goal. Okay. Yeah. I don't care how good the kicker is, but Sutton made the play on that one too, on fourth down. So back-to-back big fourth down stops for him, but give him credit. He saw it, he triggered, and he got there before Reggie Gilliam could even react to try and block him. Yeah. I want to talk just a couple of questions about the uh, Buffalo defense, which I thought was pretty strong yesterday. It was a rough day for cornerback Levi Wallace, penalties and, and one big pass given up. But overall, I thought the defense uh, acquitted itself pretty well. They gave up one touchdown to Pittsburgh. They, they did, and what was one of the big bugaboos for them last year was in, interior defensive front and against the run game. And I thought Ed Oliver played one of the best games he's played as a Buffalo Bill against the run, being able to stay strong in there, stay stout. Yeah, again, young offensive line, but still, those are some big people. And by the way, the three middle guys, Kendrick Green, the center, Trey Turner, the right guard, and the left guard, uh, 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 Dotson, those guys are run blocker extraordinaire, supreme. They want to move people. That's all they want to do. They want to go straight ahead and pop you in the, in, in, in the chops. They've never really got that run game going. I think Najee Harris had 45 yards or so. Yeah. What happens? Give them credit for that. The pass rush, I think people are going to be a little disappointed because they spent time working on it. They drafted Rousseau. Boogie Basham wasn't even up for the game. But Addison was there. Hughes was there. They had guys who could go. But here was the problem. Big Ben doesn't hold the ball very long. He led the league last year and how fast it got out of his hands. The best plays they had with ball got out of his hands quickly on Sunday. And then when it didn't, he showed his 18-year savvy, didn't he? How many times, John, did you see him just move in the pocket? These little subtle movements. He's not going to beat you in foot races anymore, but he shook people off, created enough space and time, and made really nice throws downfield that way. So they'll continue to work on it, but I'm with you. Overall, and, and I wouldn't give Levi Wallace a ton of, ton of uh, grief about that ball game. He made one really nice play against Claypool. The pass interference, he, the coverage was good. It was more optics. If he turns his head and looks back, that flag never comes out because he really didn't interfere with him. He was close, but because he was close and you don't turn your head, the receiver gets the benefit of the doubt on that call. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you know, it's only one game and it's, it's the first loss. Um, but in some ways, I guess the, the concern for the Bills and their fans is, were they exposed or what was exposed that could haunt them, you know, for the bulk of the season that lies ahead? Do you see anything that should be addressed immediately to prevent a, you know, a free fall for the Bills? Yeah, I think it's already being addressed truthfully. I think Brian Dayball, the offense, I'll start over there. The offensive coordinator is going to look back at the game and, and, and see it. And really, he didn't call the game much differently than he called in 2020. And he piled up over 500 points. But as I, I keep going back to the sharpness wasn't there. Josh missed some throws along the way. They didn't execute as well. It's not all on the quarterback, but there were some throws to be made. As many good laser throws he made, there were enough good, there were enough throws in there that he missed. I think you probably saw it during the game a couple of times where he threw missed a pass and clapped his hands in frustration because he knew it was on him. He'll continue to play better. I'm not worried about that. I do think that the idea of, of, of everything being a pass-first thing, I think Brian Dayball may, may take a look at that a little bit. And if he does find a crease and a gap, he may stick with the run a little bit longer, similar to how they did against New England last year at home. Remember when he found something working and he stayed with it? It was one of their better games running the ball. I think we'll see more of that going forward. But don't expect him to abandon moving the ball via pass. Josh Allen will be better. And there's no way you're not going to feed that that bevy of receivers. And by the way, Austin Knox, 
I thought he made a nice jump in his game. He has to show that consistency throughout, though. Yeah, I agree. Hey, um, the rest of the AFC East, obviously the Bills have to keep an eye on them. Is anybody a threat? The Dolphins were the only team that won yesterday. What do you think? Yeah, the Dolphins beat the Patriots 17-16. I do think I do think Dolphins and Patriots are both going to be a threat to Buffalo because there is something brewing in Miami where they found a way to grit that win out, forced a fumble late from Damian Harris. I think that New England's roster looked like, hey, we're going to be okay, even with a rookie quarterback, and they beat them in Foxborough. So that's a big deal. That's a major confidence builder. And we'll see how it goes from there. So, you know, I, I do think both of them will be in contention as we go along. I wouldn't count them as easy outs. The Jets, as much as I want to put them in there, oh, Zach Wilson, I, I don't believe it. <laughs> Not right. yet. They'll have to prove it. But at the same time, they'll be pesky enough that if you don't come to play, that'll be a problem because of the way Robert Sala coaches his team. But I do think New England and Miami – Definite threats right now, and and not just because of yesterday. I thought it coming in. And the last thing, John, it's one game out of 17. You know, I I heard enough on my way home and enough people. There's a lot of gloom and doom. I wouldn't keep that gloom and doom going, and I'd be shocked if you and I talked midseason and the Bills would be in trouble. I would be surprised. I think they're going to be okay. I think you're right. I hope we can talk again. Charles, thanks for this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You take care of yourself, and it's always a pleasure to come to Buffalo. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. The Sullivan's Pro Football Podcast continues, brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout, now available in New England as a result of the work of of the man who joins us right now in Massachusetts and Rhode Island anyway. He is the general sales manager for Atlantic Beverage Distribution in the Boston area. Mino Sogamonian is on the uh, line with us. Mino, thanks for coming on. Did I get that name right? First of all, let me make sure I got that. You are aces, John. Well said. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, Mino, tell me, how does uh, Sullivan's fit into your product line? Tell me about your product line and how Sullivan's is a fit there. Yeah, well, ultimately, Atlantic Beverage, we've been um, really one one of the uh, pioneers in introducing hyper-local craft beer brands into the state of Mass and Rhode Island. Uh, that's really something that we pivoted towards as we got away from the national brands and wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, that farm-to-table aspect of business and or, I guess, the food portion of things really resonated to the craft beer industry. So we've... Uh, We've done a pretty good job of expanding our portfolio specific to the uh, New England region. And um, it's really worked out for us over the last 10 or so years. Of course, Sullivan's not local in New England or in Buffalo. It's imported from Ireland. Uh, do you have many imports, Mino, in your product line? Uh, yeah, we have quite a quite a few. But I think, you know, what's where Sullivan's really differentiates itself for us is, uh, you know, we're all going after that that larger Irish stout that everybody carries, right? And then there's a lot of secondary brands that have tried to really take a good amount of that market share where we feel Sullivan's is really going to differentiate itself outside of its uh, quality in the can or on draft is the sheer fact that uh, the alignment to independent craft in the New England region and hopefully throughout the East Coast 
is going to make uh, make a big impact to take away from that uh, larger player that'll go unnamed at this point. <laughs> All right, I won't name him if you won't. Uh, yeah. They're they're pretty prominent <laughs> worldwide, obviously. What is is that the biggest challenge for a new imported craft beer like Sullivan's to distinguish itself, and how can they go about doing that? Do you think? Well, I think the partnership of where things lie amongst a brand like Sullivan's and not being in, incorporated with one of the larger conglomerate importers or uh, breweries is what's going to bring light and really uh, more of a focus at the distribution level, right? Because ultimately you're only as strong as your distributor in regards to getting the items placed. And then upon getting them placed in you know restaurants and retail establishments, it's, it's really up to the supplier at that point to get the pull off the shelves, whether it's because of the packaging or the accolades or the sheer support of doing tastings and events, similar to how, uh, you know, a larger brands have done it, but more so on a grassroots kind of movement. Mino Sogamonian is our guest. He's general sales manager at Atlantic Beverage Distribution. Mino, tell me about your background, uh, you know, as in this business. How did you get started and how did you rise to the level of general sales manager at Atlantic? Yeah, well, I started right out of school, class of 97, out of Providence College, and uh, I was recruited, per se, by uh, Gallo, and ended up working at Gallo for a year where I got my uh, basic training, uh, which is recognized as some of the best training in the beverage industry. Uh, After a year at Gallo slash Commonwealth Wine and Spirits, which was located in uh, Mansfield, Mass., I uh, made the move to a a full beer, wine, and spirits distributor in the Martinetti Companies uh, subdivision, uh, which was by the name of Carolina Wine and Spirits, really excelled there and was actually one of the top reps at uh, Carolina um, based on my uh, overall uh, efforts and hard work that I placed for twelve, almost 12 years. And at that point made the transition to um, come on board with Atlantic, which at the time was a smaller distributor um, with uh, some focus on craft beer uh, specific to a couple of brands, but uh, coming on board there, we were able to really clearly define ourselves as a a leading independent craft beer distributor and really started to focus in on uh, more of a specific outline, not only with a product set, but also a fundamentally sound sales team that we grew exponentially by having a platform uh, built out, statewide for the state of Massachusetts and uh, built it out and expanded now into Rhode Island. You know, how would you describe the, the, the beer market in Massachusetts and Rhode Island? What differentiates that market? Do you think? I think that, you know, when you look at any larger city or even a smaller, large city, right. Per se, uh, this hyper local movement is really taken the majority of, of the bandwidth of, uh, of all consumers, right? Really shopping those stores. Even the retailers themselves and restaurateurs are really pulling away from the national brands and really are looking, especially in the craft beer segment, for those, you know, really fresh, uh, right out of the tanks, uh, you know, draft and, and package uh, products because uh, with specifically New England IPAs and IPAs in general, it's all about freshness and really the hop profile that you look for uh, comes with having fresh beer and when beer travels from the other side of the country um, and lands itself in one of the furthest points here in Massachusetts 
when you're looking at the example of California to Mass, uh, you're losing quite a bit of time. And there is no direct reflection to what's happening in market, right? So with Boston or Massachusetts being such an affluent, educated market and an international market at that, and being a big town in a very small footprint, you're seeing a lot of breweries, but you're seeing a lot of educated consumers um, gaining that experience of visiting these breweries and then looking for the product in other restaurants and or package stores, as we call them here in Massachusetts, the packy, right? Yeah. Well, and with that in mind, what do you think makes Sullivan stand out? Well, you know, all three Sullivan's brands, the Irish Red Ale, the Gold, and, and the Stout. What do you think makes Sullivan stands out? Well, I think that ultimately... At first glance, when we took a look at the brand as a whole and as part of what we do, right, it's not just, again, what's in the can, but also uh, how it presents itself with uh, POS, right, and with uh, the overall disposition of the brand, the 16-ounce format, um, everything really points for a very successful launch here in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. So we're really pleased and excited. And I got to tell you that the leadership that we were able to connect with as well was a major reason to why we wanted to align ourselves with Sullivan's because it's not just about the liquid. It's not just about the packaging, but it's also about the synergy of aligning with an organization and or a group of individuals that also have a solid business sense and are good people. Right. I mean, we want to connect ourselves with people that produce a good product, that have a good business sense, but are also good people. And ultimately, we really do foresee that the partnership with the Sullivan's brand and the people behind the brand uh, are really a solid chemistry of how we're going to see this brand continue to make a name for itself, especially in Mass and Rhode Island. And hopefully through additional partners that will line up with the brand in New England and, uh, and forward. I guess, and, and I may uh, I may sound old saying this, but I, I, you, when I think about the the Massachusetts beer market, the Boston beer market, you can't help but think about you know Sam Malone and the bar and, and the old TV show Cheers. It's it can't be like that all over the place, right? It's, it's got to be it's got to be different than what we're used to watching on television twenty five thirty years ago. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know what you're really seeing now is just a mecca of independence still right where everybody does know your name when you walk in to some of these establishments no pun intended but uh you know it still ultimately comes down to the visibility and and the fact that this the the city of boston specifically is still so quaint you're not going to get lost but the alignment to the relationships and the continuity is what's going to really make a difference and i see that a lot of that is already happening with a lot of these hyper-local brands. And when you're looking at brands like Sullivan's as well, you can see that Sullivan's is, is going to put a strategy in place, and we've already talked about it, with having brand ambassadors that are going to really be able to connect with a lot of these restaurateurs and retailers. And where brands historically have been built in the on-premise with uh, this the COVID and post-COVID timeline and how things are progressing, unfortunately or fortunately for that matter, um, the consumer is really looking at uh, connecting with brands in a different light. And I think that e-commerce is going to bring a lot of that differentiation uh, of how brands do and how they continue to expand and grow. And um, we're looking forward to seeing how Sullivan's can really expand on uh, that business model that 
we will hope we work together collectively with them on. One question for you, Mino, about, I guess, the overall beer landscape. Um, you know, recently, and I guess over the last six to eight months, it, it just strikes me how many more options consumers have. And, and you deal with some of those. Uh, you know, there's hard seltzer now. There's all kinds of wine. There's, there's spirits. Uh, uh, is beer still a prominent product for, uh, for Atlantic? And will it remain maybe the, 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 the kind of number one product for a company like yours? What do you think? Yeah, we are still, you know, it's about being really recognized to specialize in one thing, right? Or one category. Uh, what we've done pretty well is specialize in all categories, but uh, the, the main focus still for us and the driving force to what we do day in, day out is that our focus is on hyper-local independent craft. And if you're not hyper-local to like the likes of a Sullivan's, it's about independent craft. It's not about that major conglomerate. It's about that smaller production, artisanal, uh, you know, disposition that's out there for a brand like Sullivan's that's just getting their feet wet and uh, expanding based on the quality of what they have and the people around them, not only on the wholesale side, but on the, um, on the resale, retail side as well. Last thing I have for you, Mino, and, and this is, I'm going to sound like a novice because I am, but it just seems like Sullivan's is a good fit for the Boston market in particular. Would you agree? 100%. When you look at Sullivan's and some of the competition that's out there uh, and what I've tasted, it really is a superior product, but we're going to let people really make that judgment for themselves. I know that our organization is really focused in on making sure that we're going to execute at a very high level and making sure that the brand is visible in all the right places. Are we going to be in every single corner store, convenience store that sells beer? Uh, probably not. And I don't think that the brand at this point uh, should be in every store, but in due time, just as we've built other great brands within our portfolio, uh, we will uh, start to peck away at, making sure that we're in the right accounts. The, and these accounts are supporting and building on the brand and seeing the value, seeing um, the differentiating four points that uh, are clear to us, uh, specifically on, again, packaging and, and what's in that can or what's on draft. It's going to be fresh. The way that it's coming into us uh, should really accelerate its visibility over the coming months. It's going to be exciting. Mino, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. It was my pleasure. See you soon, John. Mino Sogamonian is uh, general sales manager for Atlantic Beverage uh, Distributors in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Well, that's it. That's our first podcast of the regular season. Thanks for tuning in. We want to thank our guests, Mino Sogamonian of the Athletic Beverage Distribution Company in Boston. You know, these are exciting times for Sullivan's Ale as we break into the Boston market and to New England, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island in particular. And we thank Mino for giving us kind of an overview of what to expect there. I want to thank Charles Davis of CBS Sports, color analyst with his partner Ian Eagle on CBS Sports. He'll be sure to do some more Bills games this year. He said he's got uh, the Steelers game again this week, so he should be well prepared for that. He is one of the most prepared and one of the best guys working in network broadcasting, I think, right now, thanks to Charles Davis. We're looking for your feedback, too, your thoughts, your ideas. Shoot us an email. Our email address, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. It's one word, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. Anything 
about anything. You can give us your guest suggestions. You can give us your thoughts on the NFL, about the Bills, even the beer. If you have thoughts on Sullivan's or any other beer, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. We're brought to you by Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Brewed in Kilkenny, Ireland, expanding all over the United States, available in your favorite bar or tavern and in stores. Make sure you ask for it, Sullivan's. Got an announcement coming up on the podcast next week about a special Sullivan's party we're going to have in Nashville, Tennessee in October, the night before the Bills play the Titans on Monday Night Football. We'll be there in Nashville for a special Sullivan's party in Nashville, Music City. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week. I want to thank our producer, Pat Felball, puts it all together for us. And we'll see you next week right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the Beards.